Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. It's one thing to have a valuable camera stolen or to break a piece of furniture. It's entirely different when powwow regalia or other important cultural items are lost or damaged. Regalia can take months, even years to make and acquire. Some pieces are handed down through generations. The monetary value is usually not the highest concern. Today we're talking about protecting important cultural items, including ensuring them if the worst happens. We're back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Tribal advocates are discussing the need to advance the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. The Mountain West News Bureau's Robin Vincent reports. Advocates say it's a human rights imperative. The Declaration recognizes Native peoples' survival and self-determination, their land and culture, and political participation. Countries such as Canada, Mexico, and New Zealand are taking steps to implement it. Tribal leaders and advocates here say it's time for the U.S. to do the same. For example, they want the government to have closer consultation with tribes on key issues. Attorney Walter Echohawk is a member of the Pawnee Nation. He says the Obama administration endorsed the declaration in 2010, but there's been little movement since. We have no national plan here in the U.S. to implement the declaration, and the Biden administration appears strangely silent on the implementation effort here. Echohawk points out the federal government is investing billions in protecting the rights of Ukrainians. He wants to see similar measures enacted here to protect indigenous peoples. For National Native News, I'm Robin Vincent. This spring in the southwest Alaska region of Bristol Bay, the traditional council of Nustiahawk partnered with a program that connects rural communities with Alaska Native artists. KDLG's Izzy Ross talked with one of those artists who wants to help people use art to heal. Danielle Larsgaard, a commercial fisher and a domestic violence counselor, recently embarked on a new business endeavor, a traveling art studio called Alriak Arts. She wants to hold workshops on how people can use art to process emotions and address trauma. Bridging the gap between modern art and bringing back traditional art. Um, our minds, our bodies, our hands, our souls. We heal best when we're practicing our cultural lifestyle, traditional lifestyle. Larsgaard brought her studio to New Stiahawk during the last week in April as part of AmeriCorps' Resilient Alaska Youth After School Program. It partners with tribes, schools, and nonprofits in rural communities statewide to support youth activities. The program teamed up with New Stiahawk's traditional council to have Larsgaard lead the art workshops. She teaches a traditional drum-making class, where students craft 15-inch, 16-sided instruments. She also hosts an art therapy paint night with parents. Matthias Suskuk, with the Traditional Council, says at least 22 kids participated in the workshop, so many that a few had to work on the project as a team. We started with drum-making. We started the drum part, the circle thing, so it could be smooth for the deer skin we're going to use and then while that's drying up we'll probably do painting 
For Larsgaard, these aren't just art projects. She wants to address the generational gap created by boarding schools and other historical traumas. A lot of generations didn't learn how to preserve grass or to go out and get hides and to stretch them and make drums and make reindeer and stuff like that. And so with that generational gap, I'm fulfilling it with teaching these traditional classes for individuals who didn't have an uppa or an umma to walk them alongside and teach those things, or a mom and dad to teach them how to live off the land or how to live off the water. The new Studio Hawk workshops weren't limited to kids in the after-school program. The whole community was able to get involved. The Resilient Alaska Youth Program will open applications for new community partners this month. In Dillingham, I'm Izzy Ross. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the Native American Disability Law Center, a non-for-profit 501c3 at 800-862-7271 or nativedisabilitylaw.org. The Indian Loan Guarantee and Insurance Program has worked with lenders for almost 50 years, supporting them as they support you. Need new equipment or working capital? Information at bia.gov DCI, which supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. What might be every powwow dancer's worst nightmare came true for three young Native men this past weekend. Their fancy dance and traditional regalia were stolen over the weekend in Albuquerque. They were visiting for the Gathering of Nations powwow from Wisconsin. Dozens of eagle feathers, several animal skin pieces, custom beadwork, and family heirlooms were in boxes and luggage stolen from their car at the hotel parking lot. If you're familiar with sacred and cultural pieces of regalia like this, you know they're priceless, and items like eagle feathers cannot be legally bought or sold. Sadly, the stealing of priceless and irreplaceable native items like this does happen, and they're not like a camera or laptop that can be easily insured because their monetary value can be difficult to appraise. So how should native people safeguard sacred and cultural items? That's the focus of our conversation today. Has a burglary ever changed how you feel about your personal and cultural possessions? Do you have questions about insurance and security? That's what we're going to talk about today. So please give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Phone lines are now open. Josephine Webster is speaking with us today from Green Bay, Wisconsin. She is a mother and was an attendee at the Gathering of Nations powwow. She's Oneida and Navajo. Josephine, thank you so much for coming on our show today. I only wish it was under a happier circumstance. Um, while in Albuquerque last weekend, an extremely unfortunate incident occurred. You had some regalia stolen. Can you tell us what happened? Yes. So thank you again for having me. I really appreciate, you know, you reaching out to me about this. I'm sorry I have to come here on these circumstances as well, but last um, Friday night we went to the powwow and then after it was over, 
um, my son and his two friends went back to the hotel and they got checked in and situated in their room. And when they went back out to the car to get their belongings, all of their power regalia was um, stolen. The window had been broken and the items were all gone. So about how much time had elapsed then from when they had last been in the vehicle with their regalia and when they went back out and saw that it was stolen? Um, I figure it was like about maybe two hours at the most. Wow. And all three of them had regalia stolen, your son and his two friends? They did, yep. So it was a total of um, two um, total fancy dance bustles, eagle bustles. So there's a top bustle and a bottom bustle. So that was like four bustles right there. And then their other um, friend is a traditional dancer. So his bustle was stolen as well. And then all of their beadwork, their roaches, their um, feathers that go on their roaches and everything else that, you know, went with it. Oh, geez. It's just horrible. I'm so sorry. Uh, how are you folks feeling? Um, still in shock, I think. I, um, you know, all of these young men have been in the powwow scene their entire lives. Um, we all come from pretty big powwow families. This was a way of life since these boys were able to walk. So for this to happen was just, so unreal. It's still so unreal that it happened. Uh, any updates? Did you file a police report, insurance claim? How's that all going along? We did. So the, the gentleman's car that it was, it was actually my son's friend's vehicle that they were in at the time. So he um, attempted to file a police report right away when we realized that this had happened. But the police in Albuquerque weren't coming out. They wouldn't even return the phone calls. I think, like, it took them to, like, late the next day to even get a phone call back about it. Um, and then, you know, the police wanted to know, well, we need to know exactly what's in there. And we need to know the exact amount of, like, the how much each item costed. So it was really hard for us because, obviously, we don't buy them. So everything is priceless, I guess, if you could say so trying to put a monetary value on it was really, it was difficult. You know what I mean? Because we, it's just not something you think that you should do, or it's, it's not even something that you should do, you know? So for us to really sit down and remember each piece in its entirety and try to figure out the monetary value was extremely difficult, to say the least. And really unfortunate to hear that the police uh, were so slow in their response. What about uh, auto insurance company? Have you folks filed a claim? Yes. So he did file the claim with the auto insurance company. Basically, that's going to be just the window getting fixed. You know, um, so, so they won't cover inside. any of the belongings inside the car, inside no. the vehicle. Jeez. Okay. Um, so you mentioned like you can't like put a price on it, like, but how much effort went into that regalia, making so, it, you know, acquiring it? We a lot. You know. Um, some of the outfits take like up to a year to make just the beadwork itself, you know? So like we had to put a monetary value on it so that they could get an idea. And, you know, we figured it, it was at least like $50,000 worth of stuff. Um, you know, I, I do make um, a lot of the stuff myself. So even just materials in itself cost money, like fabric and thread and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it's, it's a lot harder to price, um, the eagle feathers, obviously, because those you legally can't even buy them, you know. But um, it was it was really difficult because it's not, you know, the one the one boy his stuff, you know, came from like four generations ago. 
So, and he had to go through a lot of ceremonies and a lot of rites of passage and even to get these items and be able to even hold them in his possession. So, you know, it really, it's, it's really hard to put a money value on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And so this was this past weekend. So it's been what now, four or five days. Um, any leads, any ideas who could have stolen this regalia or where it might be? So the last, we only really got like one solid lead, and that was on Sunday. Somebody had contacted um, one of our family friends on Facebook and said, hey, they're selling these, there's there's two gentlemen selling outfits in the Coronado Mall parking lot. And the items that they described that these gentlemen had on them, like in their possession, um, were consistent with exactly what my son's bustles and his um, regalia was in. And the gentleman also had mentioned to this woman, if you like what you see, we do have more of this stuff if you want more of it. So it does, I mean, like I said, the the tote that my son's eagle bustles were in is really distinct. And this lady, we never put out a description of what they were in at that point. So it's like makes us really confident that it was, in fact, their outfit because there's no way that lady would have known what my son's bustles were, you know, were stored in. Right, right. And you connected with this person via social media, right? That that's, that saw these people with the regalia or some regalia? Yes. Okay. And I know you've also shared your story on social media. And, and what has been the response from other Native people that have just learned about this horrible incident? You know, it's so um, overwhelmed. We're so overwhelmed with, like, gratitude right now because we have been contacted by so many different tribes and all the great people in Albuquerque, really, I have, I have so much respect for everyone in Albuquerque. I mean, from all walks of life, it's not just Native people. So that makes me so happy that there's so many people out there looking for them and they feel for us and, you know, sending their prayers and letting us know if there's any way that they can help. They're definitely, you know, willing to help. And they've asked me to set up a GoFundMe so that, you know, we can put out a reward for it or, you know, helping rebuild the boys' outfits. And so... I'm, I am super overwhelmed and very grateful for all the support that we've received. Well, that's wonderful to hear that outpouring of support from Native America. Josephine, have you ever known someone who had their regalia taken like that? Um, I have, actually. Um, there, you know, you hear about it here and there a lot of times, um, and it's really sad to say. A lot of times what happens is, you know, when you, when you hear about them um, getting stolen from powwows, they um, are shipped overseas because obviously these items are like, they're very distinct. Like if we seen this, if we seen any of this beadwork 30 years from now, we would definitely know that that's our beadwork. There's no doubt about that. And so you can't really resell it here in anywhere in Indian country because everybody's going to see it and they're going to know, Hey, that's so-and-so's beadwork. So they, they send them overseas and I don't know, I guess they're worth a lot of money overseas, apparently, and they will, they'll pay top dollar for those outfits. So I, you know, and it was kind of like one of those things when, when we realized that they were gone, we're like, okay, they could already be overseas by now. But the fact that, you know, different ones have seen these people with potentially with the outfits gives us a lot of hope that they're still in the area. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious. So they broke into a vehicle. The regalia was in luggage and boxes. So 
I mean, it's possible they didn't even know what was in those boxes. They just randomly broke into a vehicle, took the boxes, and then later discovered it was the regalia, which kind of makes me wonder what they would even do with it then, which leads credence to this idea that they just ran to the shopping mall and tried to unload it quickly like that. Does that make sense? It does, actually, because, and the reason why we do think that, too, that they saw this in there and it was an opportunity, they just quick grabbed and left with it, because my um, my son's feathers like his actual eagle feathers that were on the rocker they weren't inside of his suitcase they were actually sitting on the seat so if they were if it was like they really knew the value of them and they were really looking for eagle feathers per se or beadwork per se they would have definitely grabbed those feathers because those black and white feathers are very rare um so if they knew the value of feathers and they knew like what it was worth and whatnot they would have taken those feathers but they didn't even touch them they left them right on the seat they did take his hand drums and, you know, some other items as well, but it was like one of those opportunities to go. So I feel like they were really probably like maybe hoping there was money or something in those bags that they could like physically sell. And when they realized it, like, what are they going to do with it? Really? You know, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. Such an unfortunate incident. We were speaking with Josephine Webster and her family had some regalia, powwow regalia, that was stolen this past weekend at the Gathering of Nations powwow in Albuquerque. And we're going to talk more with Josephine after a short break. And we have some other guests on the show as well who are going to give us some insights in terms of how to safeguard cultural items, how to protect them, how to insure them. If you've got a question or a comment, please give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. I think this is a topic that so many of us as Native people can relate to. If you have pottery at home, if you have rugs, if you have beadwork, if you have power regalia, you know how precious these items are, and you worry sometimes about what would happen if they were lost or stolen or destroyed. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. There's growing awareness of the disparities for missing and murdered indigenous people. There's increased calls for action from law enforcement and others to improve troubling statistics. But are awareness and new official actions producing results? We'll get a status check on the drive to solve the ongoing crisis on the next Native America Calling. If you're hurting in your relationship or have been affected by sexual violence, Strongheart's Native Helpline is a no-charge, 24-7, confidential and anonymous domestic, dating, and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans. Help is available by calling 1-844-7-NATIVE or by clicking on the chat icon on strongheartshelpline.org. This program is supported by Strongheart's Native Helpline. Welcome back. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Today we're talking about protecting your property and belongings that are priceless and precious, like regalia and other cultural possessions. How do you insure them? How do you protect them? Join a conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. I do want to clarify we are speaking with Josephine Webster, who had some regalia stolen this past weekend in Albuquerque. And I want to clarify again, uh, this theft did not occur at the Gathering Nations powwow, not in the arena, not on the powwow grounds, not anywhere near Gathering of Nations powwow. It actually occurred in a hotel parking lot 
in Albuquerque. So just want to make sure that all of our listeners are clear on that fact. And let's go back to Josephine. And Josephine, um, again, this is just such a such a shocking story to hear about. It's so disappointing, so frustrating. Uh, again, your family traveled all this way to attend the powwow, and, and this unfortunate incident occurred. And if by chance, Josephine, whoever took uh, this regalia, your son's regalia, his friend's regalia, if that individual or those individuals are listening to the show today, what do you want to say to them? I just want them to know that we are extremely hurt, but we are not mad at them. We are not angry with them. We don't want any trouble for them, honestly. Like, we're not looking to get the police involved. We just want our items back. And we understand, like, totally understand, like, the hardships that people face and the desperation and survival, you know, need to survive. We understand that. And if that's the case, like, I'm not going to pay them to get my children's outfits back because that's not what we do, but I will help them. If it's money that they need, I will give them the money to help them. Um, I don't wish no ill will on anybody. You know, we've prayed so hard for them. Like, what what could they be possibly going through in life that they felt they needed to do this to survive? It's, it's actually heartbreaking to think that they did this to survive. So if they are listening, I just pray that they have a heart and they, they get in contact with me some way, somehow, you know, um, Again, I'm not looking to go to the police. That is not my intentions. I'm not going to do that. I just would like my son and his friends regalia back. And Josephine, how can our listeners uh, get in contact with you to, to show support? So I guess the easiest way, I, I don't have social media other than TikTok. And um, so the best way to get hold of me really is just on my cell phone. Okay. I know that and there's we been can... a lot of leads. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and we can share that information on our website later if that's okay with you? Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, once again, Josephine, I am so sorry that your family has had to go through this terrible ordeal. Thoughts and prayers to you all, okay? Thank you so much. We have a caller on the line, Daryl. He's listening in Lacoudere, Wisconsin on WOJB. Daryl, thanks for calling in. You're on the air. Well, it doesn't look like we have Daryl on the air yet. So let me go ahead and introduce our second guest for our show today. Joining us from Santa Ana Pueblo in New Mexico is Alan Romero. He's the director of the claims department at Amerind Risk. Daryl, excuse me, Alan, welcome to Native America Calling so much. Appreciate you coming on the air. Sean, great to be here. Um, thank you for the opportunity. Um, Definitely a sentiment with Josephine Webster's story and so sad that uh, that actually occurred and happened to her family. Uh, just unfortunate. Yeah, it really, really is. And we do want to mention that Amerind is a financial underwriter for Native America Callings Parent Company. And Alan, earlier we heard Josephine mentioned that it's just so hard to put a dollar value on something like this. And she put the number at $50,000, which I think might even be a conservative estimate. So how, how can, how do you work with clients and, and native people to figure out what kind of dollar value they have for items like this, cultural items, pottery, rugs, jewelry for insurance reasons? Yeah, so I think just to clear up a couple of things for all of the callers, because insurance can be kind of, you know, complicated for some people because they don't know everything. And people just kind of always automatically assume that wherever the items are at, 
that that's the carrier that's going to take care of that. So these were in an automobile. They assumed that they filed a claim for their auto carrier, that they're going to go and take care of these. But actually, personal belongings are always under an HO3 homeowner's policy. And so they actually go back to your home because that's kind of where they come from. They are insured anywhere in the world. But to your question, Sean, uh, it is very difficult, especially when you talk about native cultural regalia. I mean, these things have been passed down. There's numerous items that I could mention. Amarin is a Native American carriage, and we specialize in this because we deal with Native Americans. That's our primary focus. And the only recommendations that I could probably give three of them right off the bat is I would like to tell people, you know, nobody ever foresees a loss like this occurring like Josephine, you know, nobody does. So it's always best when you're doing this is to take some pictures immediately. I, I know that's awkward, but, you know, just to be kind to everybody, if you really think about it, we can take pictures today and use technology, Sean, to our favor because we use social media for pictures. We use videos for pictures. So, you know, if you're going on a, a travel event or even at your home, pictures are critical. But there are actually Native American uh, underwriters uh, and people that can actually price some of this very valuable, precious uh, items, such as re uh, Native American regalia, pottery, uh, the, uh, the Native American outfits, the, the beads, the, the moccasins, the outfits. Uh, and that is your best bet. Is And I know it's a little bit challenging to find this in any different state, but they're out there. And you have to go and try to appraise this, informa uh, this material so that you can get a good value around it. Because just like Josephine, when the event happens, you're emotional, uh, you're bringing in law enforcement, depending how cooperative they're going to be, they're going to tell you that they need a number. So yeah, it's best in advance, if you can, to start to be prudent, to kind of look into this and say, hey, what would this cost if I had to replace these items? You know, mm -hmm. how, how do I get all this beadwork replaced? And what would it cost right. to put it back, put a value on it? Well, it's really helpful information that you explained that, um, these personal items, they still fall under a homeowner's policy. Uh, even if you're traveling, even if it's in a car, like what happened with Josephine, it still qualifies under homeowners. But what happens if somebody doesn't own a home? Uh, maybe they're a renter or, or they don't even have homeowner's insurance. Then are there other options for people that could just get these things insured or protected independently from a homeowner's or a renter's insurance policy? I mean, there's, uh, you know, like I said, I, I reference a homeowner's policy because, you know, you have your dwelling and your outdoor property, and then you have your coverage C is what it's called under a homeowner's policy for contents. But if you're a renter uh, where you don't have to worry about the building location, such as an apartment or some item that you're renting from somebody, you could just go out and get a renter's personal contents, which is called coverage C. And what you're concerned about is making sure that everything inside the area that you are renting from the landlord, your items are going to be protected no matter what. So all of those items inside are your personal contents items. You could just get an individual policy and just pay for that specifically. So yeah, lots of carriers do it. Uh, you just have to inquire. Um, but you know, one thing I wanted to make a point of reference, if I could, for Sean, for the callers, is that you know regalia falls under a very special type of item. So, you know, you have your normal personal contents items like clothing, uh, appliances, fixtures. Those are contents items. But when you get into this specialty like jewelry, um, regalia, uh, Native American artwork, and that type of stuff, 
It's always best when you're talking to an underwriter at your carrier to ask for an endorsement on those items. Because as you heard Josephine kind of give an estimated figure, she almost thought, hey, this is around $50,000. So sometimes if you have these specialty items, it's great to get kind of a, I call it, the, to use an analogy, forgive me here, but two buckets of money. The endorsement's going to take care of your special regalia, and it's going to take care of and that money's going to be allotted to all of that. And then you come back to your contents, which is going to take care of just that limit, such as your normal clothing or other items, phones, those type of things. Because what happens to most people, which they're not aware of, is they get just one limit, and then they have to pick and choose, unfortunately, Sean, in a situation when they're underinsured and say, wow, you know, I have a lot of items stolen, but now I have to pick and choose the most valuable pieces that I want my carrier to cover for me because mm -hmm. I didn't have enough policy limit. And that's important to make sure that in, when you're putting, looking at your content uh, for coverage, make sure you have enough. I mean, Josephine mentioned she had 50000 You know, you might need a little bit more higher scale or just separate the endorsement. So did you have enough coverage moving forward? Yeah, that's just so important. And um, like a writer, right? Like a Like for jewelry, a little special writer in addition to the regular policy. I know we have one for our house and it's not very expensive. I think it's like, like an extra $20 or something like that, just to cover those, those items that like you mentioned, like not television sets and furniture. So, um, really, really good information. And then you mentioned, um, taking photographs to, to document because ultimately you have to provide proof of these possessions, right? Yeah. You know, and, and just to kind of carry you out back on that last question was, you know, they're called special limits of liability. That's what they're called. Because think about okay. it. People have guns, they have jewelry, they have Native American regalia, sacred cultural pieces. You'd want to have all of those on a special endorsement because they're probably worth a little bit more. Uh, and they've been passed down from generation to generation. So you want a special type of endorsement limit for those. But getting to your question, you know, working in the claims department, which the only time they're going to contact us is when they have, unfortunately, a loss. Uh, something has occurred, and we have to hear kind of like Josephine's situation, the sad news about, hey, someone broke in, and they took these items, and it's our job to get them back and restore these items. But I always tell people, if I was to give some tips of advice working in, in, the, in the claims department, I would say, number one, write a schedule down if you can. I know this is tedious. I know nobody thinks about doing this. I mean, I work in the claims department. I have a schedule because I should. I work in risk management. But if you could, jot down some of your big items that you have. Because like the law enforcement came, what did they tell Josephine? We need a specific list item is what was in the car. And that's why they asked for those things because they got to mm -hmm. verify that on the carrier side. The second thing is, okay, we have elderly people. Native Americans may not want to write down a schedule. Why not photograph it? Why not video it? Go through your house and just video it and put it in the cloud somewhere or on your phone or somewhere safe. Go through each room and say, look, and even just talk out loud. I got this, a refrigerator. I got this. I got, you know, open up some drawers and cabinets because, you know, that's one of the things we do when we're going through a loss is our adjusters will go through and video everything and timestamp it with a picture. That's another great item to do. And, you know, that's kind of easy to do somewhat if you can use technology to the best of your uh, – to help you in this scenario. 
so that you're documenting things because you know you're going to forget and like josephine yeah that's really helpful emotional you know of course Absolutely. it'd be easier and faster for you at that time it'd be easy to say hey look here's the item the other thing i was going to mention too is that uh when you keep receipts you know if you can you know i know that's harder to do because we throw away receipts but that's the last third tip that i would kind of tell you about documenting this information if you can from okay the get-go. Alan, this is just such good information. And, and let's just back up a little bit, though, because obviously when, when you're involved, something has already happened, unfortunately, in most cases, if they're making a claim. So what about just preventative measures that folks can take to safeguard these types of valuables? Well, I will tell you this, that, you know, the, the type of claims that we receive, Sean, that come in are very similar to Josephine's case which I'm meaning they're on travel and they're going to a different state. So they're leaving their home state like Wisconsin, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and they're coming to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Numerous states, you can plug in the states where you travel. But the first thing that I would tell you is that when you're on travel, you have to take extra precautions. You're not familiar with these surroundings, whether it's Arizona, Texas, California. And you need Unfortunately, this is sad to say in our society today, I know it's back in the day when my mother and father would tell us, and I remember we would leave everything in the car, just like Josephine. But today, you have to take different safeguards. You gotta get everything out of your car now. You gotta put it, you gotta bring it inside the hotel. You gotta unpack it. Because you think mm -hmm. it's safe, and you heard Josephine, two hours. You would think, what's gonna happen in two hours? Well, unfortunately, you need to take these safety precautions now and unload everything right away because you're not familiar with this state. You don't know. Right. And it's like she said, she's not blaming anybody. It's just unfortunate the people that took advantage of her and her family in this situation. But that'd be my first thing is safeguard. The second thing is look around your surroundings. That's the thing I tell all of our people. Make sure you know where you're at and make sure you know and you ask questions, you know, because you, you're not familiar with those areas. Like I said, if you've done the first precautions, like I told you earlier, for your home and whatnot, the videos, the schedule, the cameras, I tell everybody, even when you're on travel, take a picture of everything just so you kind of have an idea. It sounds foolish, but the problem is we just don't know when something like this, unfortunately, is going to strike. And then, of course, you're left with Josephine's situation, emotional, and I just feel so horrible for a family. We hear it constantly in the claims department numerous stories similar to Josephine and it's like, dang, what an awful thing to just kind of come down and have to deal with that type of situation. It, it really, really is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Alan, you know, in addition to, I mean, we're talking about theft a, a lot today, but that's not the only risk that we face with regard to regalia and these other cultural items. And as a homeowner myself, one of my biggest fears is water damage and i'm curious what about things like that water damage other acts of nature are those going to be covered if we if we have our regalia or items damaged will that be covered by most homeowners or renters policies yeah most ho3 policies are going to have what's called perils and that's a funny word for an insured to hear perils but that the, the word peril comes from fire wind and hail water damage like you mentioned a freeze claim a burst vandalism theft is the most common peril that people quickly associate with but any of these perils like this if they were to sustain damage to your coverage c which is your personal contents let's use uh, fire for just an example and i'll come back to water 
you know, you had a, a kitchen fire and it burned up some of your personal contents, your refrigerator, your stove, your microwave, some of your personal bowls and, and that type of stuff. All of that comes under your content of your policy. And yes, it would be covered. We would replace those. You do something similar, like a theft loss, you, you make an inventory, and that's why I go back to, hey, just taking some pictures in these rooms would be very helpful for you to say, oh, I had this, and I had this, and this. Right. And a water right. loss, the only tricky thing with a water loss is you just want to make sure that coverage is going to trigger for whatever the water incident occurred. Let me give you an example. Okay. Well, we, get, we have to go to a break right now, Alan. So I'm going to go ahead and let you finish uh, more information on water damage because I know that can be a little bit tricky. Um, so we're going to take a break. But uh, anybody with any questions or comments, really great discussion, learning about how to protect valuables, cultural possessions. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. You're listening to Native America Calling, and I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A M E R I N D.com. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. We're talking about safeguarding personal property today. And it's unfortunate that there are thieves out there who will steal anything and shatter a person's sense of security and safety. Has a theft ever affected you and how you guard your possessions? Did you have insurance for your home and your belongings? And if so, did you feel the insurance company handled your claim fairly? Still time to join our conversation. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Before we went to break, we were talking with Alan Romero of Amarind Risk. And Alan, we're talking about water damage, and I know that poses some unique challenges. And from experience, I know if a home is left unattended and a water pipe burst, that can cause problems with regard to an insurance company honoring that claim, or sometimes they'll even say, well, that's more of a maintenance issue and a homeowner should have been more responsible and prevented that leak. So can you give us a little bit more information on, on how to deal with water damage and other acts of nature like you were talking about before we went to break? Absolutely, Sean. You know, water, like I said, it is a little tricky and only because it's just not so straightforward sometimes. And the thing that we try to have to do immediately so we don't have any surprises for homeowners or people living in a, a situation where a water, let's use a freeze claim, which is the most common type of claim, a burst, a rupture. Uh, these are pretty much 100%. If it bursts, it ruptures, it's sudden, it's accidental. These are pretty much going to be covered. I always tell people, you know, when this happens, you want to try to mitigate your loss as soon as possible. Mitigation means try to get the water, call a company to get that water out of the property. And then, of course, since we're on the topic of contents, it, it falls into try to safeguard your contents as quickly as you can. You know, try to move items, put them in a more safe, secure, dry place. Uh, try to put anything underneath your couches to kind of lift them up from the water uh, just to kind of make sure they're not touching the water. But water is tricky. And you mentioned maintenance. Um, that's kind of the tricky part about this is that most insurance carriers, and Ameren is very similar to this, is that we're going to come in, 
We're always going to do an investigation to find out what caused this water to go throughout the property, but that's where we have to determine coverage, unfortunately. And that coverage part is really the critical step to make sure that we can tell this homeowner good news and say, hey, you know what? We're going to take care of the dwelling loss and your content loss as well. Sometimes okay. there are losses that unfortunately don't get covered because of a maintenance issue. And it's right. more the homeowner's right. responsibility. So. Okay. Alan, thank you so much for all that background, all that expertise. Really, really beneficial for our listeners today. And we have a caller on the line who has a comment. Michael? Listening on KUNM, Jamis Pueblo. Michael, you're on the air. Oh, yeah. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, uh, when the Gander Nation was in the pit at uh, UNM uh, school, uh, there was a water burst in the, in the southeast corner while the, while the Gander Nation was going on. And it, it, just burst, it destroyed a, a bear, um, a black bear pelt that one of the dancers used and as his regalia. It's the full pelt with the claws on, the head on. and, he, and But uh, the, it, people were just were, were so, so saddened that, they, you know, they had a, a blanket dance the next night because this was a Friday and then the next uh, next night and and you know he he was devastated but uh, he got a lot of support and a lot of money out of it and also I spoke with a MC in Albuquerque and he said when you go to a, a power out of state or somewhere that you're not familiar with don't hang any kind of uh, uh, native artifact or feathers from your rearview mirror because you're just telegraphing that you're there for that and a lot of times that's what that's what will signal something Something like that, sometime a break in. Okay, Michael, that's really helpful. I didn't thought of that before. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> when people see those eagle eagle feathers and the windshield or the bumper sticker that says "I break for fry bread," that's kind of a, <laughs> a pretty big indicator that those are native people that are traveling. So, Michael, you mentioned uh, this pipe bursting, and and they were covered. So, did the the venue, the powwow venue, was that who stepped in and, and took care of that loss, covered that loss? Well, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know exactly if they, uh, the, the under under underpinnings of that. But like I said, the next night there was a blanket dance, and, it, and even that night it had happened. People were just coming down and and pouring money and giving him, and and you know, because it it was it was awesome. It was, I mean, it was awful. It just it was a big. It's a one of those big red pipes that uh, that deliver water to all the sprinkler systems, and uh, and of course the fire hydrants within the pit, and it burst and it it sprayed every. It spared a lot of people, and I don't know how, if, if their regalias were destroyed, but that was the main one because he was sitting right uh, – they were right under that, that big burst. Okay. Well, Michael, thank you for those comments. And, yeah, I know those big industrial-grade pipes like that, they carry a lot of water. Well, we've been talking a lot about theft today, and there was a, a big item stolen, a statue in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And we have a guest now that's going to talk about that. Joining us from Tulsa is J.D. Colbert. He is the president and CEO of Holiso Hauga Incorporated Consulting. He's Muskogee Creek in Chickasaw. J.D., welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate the opportunity to join you today. Absolutely. J.D., please tell us more about this statue and what happened. Yeah, it's still a bit of a mystery. I, I am, of course, living here in Tulsa, and I'm very familiar with the Tulsa Historical Society. I've spoken there and given many uh, Native presentations about the Native history of Tulsa and eastern Oklahoma. I know the staff over there really well. And uh, last, last Thursday, 
is apparently when the statue was stolen, it was cut off at its base. And uh, you can imagine once that theft was discovered, there was a rather frenetic effort made to try to locate and recover the statue. Um, I'm pleased to say that it has been recovered. However, uh, I understand it is in a number of pieces right now. And so the Historical Society is trying to decide how to go about uh, putting that beautiful statue back together of Maria Tallchief, one of the renowned five ballerinas from Oklahoma who claimed came to fame in the 1930s, 1940s. So a statue of Maria Tallchief stolen in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and now it's in pieces. So what was what do you think the motivation was to steal a statue and then destroy it? You know, that, that that's the head scratcher. Uh, I wouldn't, of course, dismiss the possibility of anti-Native uh, orientation, particularly given the McGirt decision, which I'm sure you and many of your listeners are familiar with. Uh, but then it simply could have been um, kind of a more or less a moment, in the moment random uh, act of, uh, of vandalism. We're, we're just not real sure just yet. And how is the, the Native community taking this? It, shock and dismay, I would say. I've spoken to a number of my uh, Native brothers and sisters here in the Tulsa area about this in the past few days. We're all of a mind that uh, it's a it's a head scratcher, but uh, the two things I just mentioned to you about uh, potentially kind of a anti-McGirt sentiment, anti-Native sentiment, uh, is one of the possibilities that has been mentioned. Uh, along with, I mean, who knows? Maybe there was some uh, younger folks out or whatever who uh, had had too much to drink and decided to spur of the moment they were going commit an act of vandalism. Has there been an effort to replace the statue now? Uh, the effort right now is to try to reassemble the statue. I, I don't have enough information to say whether all parts of it uh, have been recovered. And I believe it was recovered at a, um, oh, what do you call them, like a trash recycling uh, place. And we don't know how the, how they wound up with the parts of the statue. Mm -hmm. Well, listeners, if you have a question or a comment, again, we still have time to take your calls. 1-800-996-2848. Have you ever had something stolen? Really valuable, really priceless, uh, very personal? Share us, share the story. Let us know what you thought, what you think. Uh, any words of advice or wisdom, we are more than happy to hear your calls. Now, J.D., um, you have a background in Indian policy and finance. Uh, you've done a lot of work in the banking industry and assisted tribes. And I know you're also um, working on establishing an insurance branch for a tribe. So uh, any insights you can offer with regard to how families and individuals can safeguard and insure cultural items, personal possessions? Yes, certainly. And um, a lot of my work is uh, with regard to forming what's known or is known as captive insurance companies. Uh, these are insurance companies that have uh, uh, a limited field of people uh, or that they can insure. And just that's 
by general statute. And in the tribal sphere, what I'm seeing is tribes looking at insurance and a captive insurance company, which is an actual insurance company uh, that insures property or various types of liability, various types of risk for either the tribe or tribal members. So, Sean, uh, I kind of come at this more from perhaps, I guess, an underwriting stand- standpoint, which uh, uh, your previous guest, Alan, had talked about. He offered, I think, some great words of wisdom. Um, okay. But Yeah. Well, J.D., I, I want to ask, I mean, underwriting. So let's, let's talk about that. So, like, for instance, um, we have Josephine on the show that, that estimated that her regalia is worth $50,000. So how would you, from an underwriting perspective, how would you set about valuing items, cultural items like this, um, putting a monetary value? What's the process for you as an underwriter to do that? There's some, some math involved, right? Some observations, some appraisals. How does that all work? Equal part art, art and science, quite frankly, Sean. Uh, it is, as Alan mentioned, it is a very specialized area of insurance and of underwriting, and we're because we're talking about very unique items, very unique property uh, that uh, are of both a cultural and an historical nature. And so, uh, there's a couple of ways generally that one goes about this. One would be the individual who might own such a culturally relevant property, uh, oftentimes the insurers will ask them to uh, place an estimate value. And and then there'll be a line of inquiry about how did you go about establishing that particular value. At the same time, in this highly specialized area of underwriting, it's certainly not unusual to have, uh, the best word I could come up with is similar items or simpler, similar property that that particular insurer, that underwriter, has previously placed a value on. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that all these items are what's known as like-kind. Uh, they're each unique. Uh, one, for example, you know, we know regalia gets handed down through families. And you know, some regalia, of course, is going to be more older, more historic than others. And so you begin to try to make some adjustments for that. So it's, uh, it's I, I'm honestly, I said art and a science. Be honest with you, Sean. I think it's probably more of an art how underwriters <laughs> go about evaluating and placing a value uh, on various items that are of cultural significance. Right, right. I, I think that's just such such a challenge to do that. Uh, and you mentioned just uh, how tricky that is. So, JD, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'd like to go back to Josephine Webster. And again, her family suffered this unfortunate incident uh, over the past weekend. And Josephine, after listening to the show, you've heard a caller. Um, any words of advice for other Native people with regard to safeguarding possessions? powwow goers or anybody that just has really valuable cultural possessions what are your thoughts on that josephine now having gone through what you went through so i think the insurance having insurance on your regalia and outfits and items that you know 
like you said, were passed on or cannot be bought, especially like things like eagle feathers and beadwork is extremely important. You know, um, yeah, the outfits were left in the car, but, you know, it's Albuquerque and, you know, people have been telling me the crime is horrible there. So who's to say that the boys wouldn't have been walking into the hotel and somebody held them at gunpoint and took the outfits? You know, at least we know that if it was insured that there would be some kind of, you know, monetary thing that we would get back. I mean, even though that's not going to replace it, it's still, you know, being able to help rebuild those outfits is extremely important and incredibly helpful when you do have money to do that. Um, And honestly, before you even called me about this, I didn't even think about that, that that was even a thing to get um, our outfits insured. So it's definitely something that I'm going to be looking into, you know, from here on out. Well, Josephine, I'm so glad that this show has been helpful for you and your family. And you make a really good point. You're absolutely, I mean, you know, it, it could, it, something like this could have just as possibly happened, like you mentioned, walking into an arena or through a parking lot, as opposed to just somebody breaking in to a vehicle. So there are just so many risks that, that we face as, as people, as Native people. And uh, again, it's just been a really good conversation. Really appreciate our guest today and talking about that, how to manage these risks, because that's really what insurance is all about, is accepting these risks, understanding what they are, and then managing them and gaining some type of an edge. So in the event that we do have an unfortunate incident like this, um, we're covered, we're protected in some way, shape, or form. So we have reached the end of the hour. And again, a big thank you to our guests, Alan Romero, Josephine Webster, and J.D. Colbert for providing depth, insight, and experience on the importance of safeguarding cultural and personal possessions and belongings. Join us tomorrow on National Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Awareness Day for discussion about the latest MMIW initiatives. I'm Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org. Hey, hey. 
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.